Welcome into another episode of Everything is Logistics, a podcast for the thinkers in freight, hosted by me, Blythe Brumleave. And on this show, we're telling the stories about how your favorite stuff and people make it from point A to B. In today's show, we're doing something new where we pick the best interviews from the industry's thought leaders and create a mashup of these episodes that you can listen over a period of time. That way, if you want a crash course in, say, autonomous trucks or what shippers want out of the 3PL partnership, you can listen to one long-form episode instead of having to dig through our library of, you know, 250-plus episodes at this time of recording. So all of these episodes that you're going to listen to today are from within the last year. So hopefully the insights from these folks will help you map out what your next year looks like. So with all that said, let's get into it. So first, let's talk about some of the cooler things that I saw within the freight tech space. So we talked about that top 25 list, but let's talk about what happens whenever you're actually arriving on one of these websites within that top 25 list. And the most essential thing is to book a meeting. The book a meeting CTA. CTA stands for call to action. It's usually the button that appears in the upper right-hand corner of a website. Now, the reason that it appears in the upper right-hand corner of a website is that typically that first frame of a website that you see, that's called that hero section. You see a headline and then your eyes gaze to the right. This is, this is why websites are designed this way is that you read the headline, your eyes continue to gaze to the right and you see that main call to action. That's why it's placed there. But then you also have the situation where you read in a almost like a sideways triangle format where left to right, and then you go back over. And that's why you commonly will see a CT, another CTA below that headline text. So you read the headline first, and then you see the CTA. And then in case you didn't see it again, or in case there's another CTA that draws your attention more, it's going to be in one of those two places, 90 probably 90% of the time. So with the with keeping that in mind, all of these freight tech companies follow that f- follow that model as far as trying to get your attention. But there were a few of them that stood out to me and the first one I want to point out to is Project 44. You didn't even have to leave their homepage. Once you click on that button, if you're looking at the screen right now, you'll see that's that that's their hero section that is on the first thing that you see when you get to the project 44 website is that hero section now on the right hand side you'll see a large form that that is fills up the screen from top to bottom now that form immediately pops out as soon as you click on the the schedule a demo CTA that's in the upper right hand corner now this pops out and you don't even have to go to another page so that's what I like about this particular example is that they're making it stupid easy to in order for somebody to arrive to their site and then to get the main action completed of what Project 44 wants that user to do. So that's a really good example. The next example that I want to give is for Kites because their demo page takes it up a notch. So once you click on it, they take you to a brand new page. Now, if you're looking at this page, there is a very simple form that's on the left-hand side of the page. It asks for your first Ask for your full name, your business email, company name, phone number, and then additional comments. But on the right-hand side, they have a video that plays that covers some of the common questions or the common features that they get a lot of questions about within their platform. So if somebody is just browsing and they're not exactly sure if they want to book a meeting yet, they just kind of want to check around and poke around to see if this is the right solution for them, they have that video right there to answer any more of those concerns that a visitor 
visitor might have or questions that they might have before they actually set up a meeting. So that solution might be right for them or it might not be a good fit for them. But that video is going to help entice them either way in order to complete that form and then to set up that meeting. Now, if you have this option on your site, the next level that you could do is once the user does what you want them to do and actually fills out the form, that next step, I think, is one that we can optimize a little bit more. And a good example of that, we'll go back to Project 44 for a second because they have a really great thank you page that's on there. After you fill out a form, they let you know, hey, thank you. We're gonna re- we're, you know, we're gonna reach out to you as soon as possible. But until then, here is some relative content that we think that you will like. Now, you can do this in, in one of two ways. You can just sort of show like a FAQ article or a, you know, just a general overview article, but you could take it up a notch by in the, fir- in the field of the form that that person is filling out. They're likely going to fill out if they're a technology provider, if they're a 3PL, if they're a carrier, if they're, you know, some other, you know, version of the, in another industry segment then you can show them customized content depending on the type of segment that they fall into. So that's taking it up a notch. So it's kind of like setting up dependencies based on the kind of segment that that user falls into and then showing them the relevant content that could answer you know, additional questions and, and really optimizing that flow for getting the visitor to your site getting them to take the action that they want to take, and then giving them information while they wait for the scheduling gaps. Because that's where I'm going to cover next. Because there is a little bit of a gap here, no matter what company that I, out of all the carriers and the brokers and the freight tech companies that I've looked at for these stories over the last few weeks, none of them are using calendar booking tools. And that to me is the biggest gap where a lot of companies can take advantage of today. Now, if you're thinking of like a, a your HubSpot calendar, if you're a HubSpot user, another solution is a, a tool like Calendy, where you have these built-in calendars and you can sync your sales team emails and your sales team calendars to this solution for like a hundred bucks a year and you save a considerable amount of money, but also you put the power in the user's hands that when they're arriving to your their, your site and they've decided, hey, I want to have a meeting with you guys, you're removing that extra barrier of having to communicate back and forth of when is a good time to meet. Instead, that Calendy calendar or HubSpot calendar can then sync up the availability, the, the, the time that is in your calendar, in your company's calendar. It can sync it up to only show available times to that prospect that is on your website. So you can skip all the back and forth, you know, what day, what time is good for you. And they can immediately book a meeting and they can get on the phone or they can get on a, you know, a quick Zoom and then have that conversation and they can do it on their own terms. And that's one less thing that they have to worry about. I can not believe that more companies in the space are not doing this. It drives me crazy because this is an inefficient. This is a, the biggest inefficiency that I see online. Is the easiest to fix, and it's one of those things that it's most affordable too. It's just I think I, I I don't know why more companies aren't doing this. Maybe it's a lack of knowledge. Maybe it's a lack of awareness, or or maybe it's just a matter of that they haven't just audited this flow in a long time. But that is a huge gap that the SMBs or even large businesses, really any in any business in any industry should be taking advantage of this because these tools are so advanced, because everybody's working from home. These tools are much more uh, business-friendly in order to, to help streamline a lot of these efforts. So that's one big gap that I see missing. Another big gap 
I see missing, and you have heard me talk about this on several different shows, is the field, how did you hear from, How did you hear about us? The how did you hear about us is the most important thing you need to be adding to your website today. And the reason that you, you want to do this is because it gives you so much more insight versus a, a typical attribution report. Now, for modern B2B buying habits... A lot of these attribution software platforms, so think about you know Marketo, uh, Sixth Sense, uh, HubSpot, a lot of them provide great intent data, but what they don't, where they're missing the mark and where it's not really trackable is to find out what is resonating the most with your audience. And you find out what's resonating the most by adding one field to your website forms, the conversion form, so your book a demo, book a meeting, add, how did you hear about us? make it required, and make it a free text field. Do not add any dropdowns because that will influence what people select. A lot of times people you know, will get lazy and they'll just pick whatever one from the random list that you have on that, that you've listed on your website. Maybe there's some that are that they heard about you and it's not listed on your dropdown. By making it a free text field, then you are able to put the power in the user's hands and then they can let you know exactly how they heard of you. Because I'll give you one example. My business, I, I publish multiple podcasts every single week. And on my lead reports, when I get them each week, when I look at my marketing software, when I look at maybe HubSpot or Google Analytics, the reports are telling me that Google Search sent me leads to my site. So when a lead comes to my site and they're filling out that form, I'm getting on those marketing reports that Google Organic Search sent those visitors. And that's where I should technically invest more of my money. But on the how did you hear about us field, the users are overwhelmingly, over 80% of the users that come to my website and submit a form are hearing about my company and hearing about me through the podcast. And so if I were to just listen to the attribution reports that big you know, marketing tech software firms send me, then what I would do I would probably cut out the podcast altogether and then I would double down on Google search ads. But knowing that I have this information and I'm getting direct customer feedback, that's another instance where you have a situation where you're getting that clear answer from your customer. It's vastly different than what the hub, when you know some of these marketing software companies are going to tell you. And you're going to make the right investments because that's directly what your customers are telling you. So you use both, but you prioritize what is moving the needle by taking direct feedback from your customers. So that was missing on the overwhelming majority of forms that I've seen, especially in the entire industry. If you, I, There was one example where I saw that they did have this, but it was a dropdown where you had to select you know, Instagram or LinkedIn, uh, YouTube, some of these other social media platforms. And that's fine, but it's not going to give you the real raw data that you're really going to use to make real business decisions about what's moving the needle. So a few other things that I want to get into really quick, you know, before we bring on our first guest with Jill, a few other cool things I saw. Um, consider making it stupid easy for users to get to your website and then funnel those leads. A good example for this is Convoy, which is really stepped up. Side side note, we really stepped up their graphic design game. I, I talked to them over at the, the Freightways conference earlier this year, and they said that they have several graphic designers on staff, and you can tell in a lot of their branding. But if you're looking at this page, and it's a contact us page, you're going to fill out, you're going to choose whether you're a shipper, a carrier, or a broker. And what I like about this is that you're funneling whoever is trying to reach out to contact your company, you're funneling those leads 
into the appropriate source. Or maybe it's not a lead. Maybe it's it's, it's a, another example. You know, freight tech space um, is not a lead. Maybe it's a, a someone just reaching out for customer service, um, some other kind of need. But at least this way, you are funneling those leads and those customer inquiries into the right place. Another one that I want to give a shout out to is Flexport. They have their blog and their social media strategy is great. They recently released uh, released like a top uh, 55 like supply chain influencers to follow. And what this does is that this helps kind of stroke the ego a little bit of some of the other influencers in the space. So a lot of those influencers see this, they, you know, they, they get really happy, they get really proud, and then they share that with their audience. And so using a strategy like this, really anyone in this industry can use this by creating a top, you know, maybe a 10 drivers to follow or to subscribe to on YouTube or a top 20 shippers to follow on LinkedIn. This is a similar strategy that anyone can replicate. And what it does is it brings awareness, it brings eyeballs to your brand and your solution. So that's another really good one in order to, to you know, I guess, pay attention to or maybe implement into your strategy. And then another one, is truckstop.com. As soon as you arrive to their, their website, they kind of punch you in the face like right away with their pricing. And so at truckstop.com, they're letting you know right away, like this is our pricing. And if you want to continue learning more about us, then let's do it. But here is where we're... This is where we stand. Now, 3PLs and carriers, you can't do this unless you're, I guess, a tech-enabled 3PL. But on the flip side, if you're a service provider, if you're a solution provider, then this is a great way to put your pricing front and center so you're not wasting your time getting on meetings with people who can't afford your solution. So knowing all of that, use this list as you know some inspiration that you can take into your marketing planning now or in the future. So first few key takeaways. If you have, as a 3PL, your website, if you have the, the ability from a technology standpoint to give instant quotes, that was one thing that really stood out, especially among the top, the top companies listed on there is to have the instant quoting ability. Because for a lot of 3PLs, having someone submit a quote on your website is like the holy grail of metrics of proving the success of your company. It's, it's really the most important thing that you want a visitor to do. And so what I saw is, as far as like a commonality among a lot of these different companies is that they put that information in the hero section of the website. And the hero section of the website is that first frame that you see when you go to the desktop version of a website or a mobile version too. It's that, that first section. What does that look like? Is it an image? Is it a video? What does that text say? What is that CTA button that you have in that section before the user scrolls? That is called your hero section. And so for a lot of these examples, I'm going to bring one up first. It's Kuna Nagal is how you pronounce this company name. I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing it wrong. I'm probably not. Looked for like six different YouTube videos to hear someone pronounce the company name so I could try to get it right. So I think that's how you pronounce it. But if you're looking at the screen, you can see in their hero section before you scroll, they have a tab that says, how can we help you today? And in the search bar, you can list out all of the different ways. So do you want uh, to submit a request for quote? Do you want to find tracking info? Do you want to search for a blog article? Do you want to search for their social media or their contact information? You can search for it in that search bar. So that's, they are giving you the ability that if, maybe if you're not there to submit a quote, because to be honest, it's kind of rare that folks do arrive on your site and 
complete a form in order to submit a quote. You have to make that aware on other platforms of why that user should submit a quote on your website in order to really reap the benefits of that. So I really love how they took that field and they made it into a a place where you can just search for whatever you want. Because if you're searching for whatever you want in that little frame, in that little box, it helps the user get to where they want to go much quicker than trying to navigate and trying to find where that information is on the website. It also, from a marketing perspective, gives you a ton of content ideas. Say someone is coming to your website and they're searching for, I don't know, uh, rules and regulations for uh, shipping goods from the US to another country you could have that information on your site and maybe the the person doesn't know where to find it. So they input that information into the search bar to try to find it. Or if the person is searching for that information and it's not already on your site, that gives you the perfect indication of how you should be adjusting your content plan because you should be adding that to your content plan. If the user is searching for it and it fits within your business model and and your revenue targets and whatever sort of messaging goals that you have, then that also helps. Search bars in a website is relatively easy to add into the functionality of your site and it gives you so much more valuable insight. Like for, for my website, Digital Dispatch, I get a weekly report every single single week of how folks arrived on the site and then what did they search for when they arrived on the site. And that gives me ideas of where I'm having gaps in my content and where I need to make more content in the future about those specific topics. So I thought that that was a really good example. Another really good example of instant quoting ability comes from Coyote Logistics. So this form, if you're seeing it on the site, it really is from a functional coding level. It's a pretty basic form. Now it's in the hero section again, and you can pick between truckload, less than truckload, intermodal, air or ocean. You fill out a couple things and then you move on to the next page. Now the next page has more of a lengthy form of, of what you need to fill out based on the, the, you know, the qualifications that you entered into the first you know, sort of box that you saw there on the hero section. Are you shipping LTL? Are you shipping uh, truckload? So you're filling out that short information quickly and then you're moving on to the next page where it's more detailed information that they're requesting from you. Now, I did do a little bit of a test run. So sorry to Coyote if you got a spam email that got submitted from this. Now, what I thought was really great is that they, with a lot of tools, especially if you don't have the technology to add an instant quoting ability, which instant quoting ability into your website is kind of tough and it is kind of expensive right now. But for Coyote, they're able to get this information. And then once you submit that information to their company, you're getting an email back immediately that says, thank you for reaching out, submitting a quote. Here, our, our team is working on you know fixing up a quote for you and we'll be in contact soon. And then they list out a bunch of different resources that you can read while you're waiting for that person to get back to you from the company. So I thought that that was a really good way of, of trying to introduce you know some kind of a, a buyer flow where it still keeps the the potential business partner in the loop and and aware that you're on it and that you'll be in contact immediately but i thought that's a very simple workflow that any 3pl in the country could implement today it might take a few hours you know to get the verbiage right and get you know some email marketing software set up but if you already have a lot of those capabilities email marketing being one of them already set up and if you have a website that's already set up this could take you a couple hours in order to implement the same thing that coyote did and you could probably do it for a lot cheaper than than what they have. Another option that I want to show you is TQL. 
because this form, TQL is one of the largest companies in the entire world, but this form on their website to request a quote can be replicated by seriously any 3PL in the industry. Now, I didn't test this form, so I don't know what the follow-up looks like, but if you just keep in mind that you know, once somebody submits a quote, they kind of want that answer very, very quickly. So my one piece of advice is that if you are going to take a more uh, simpler approach to putting contact, to putting quoting forms on your website, then you need to make sure that you have that follow-up process in place where a salesperson is on it immediately. Those are hot leads. You want to make sure that someone is researching that immediately. When I say immediately, I mean within 30 minutes. Because anytime, if it's outside of 30 minutes, then you're really sort of rolling the dice because that person on the other end wants an answer as soon as possible. And if you're not going to provide it to them, then somebody else will. So just keep that in mind to have that sort of process set up from the jump. The next key takeaway from looking at all of these different 3PL websites is putting your content front and center. Now, not all 3PLs are going to be creating content on a regular basis. But if you are, don't hide the content. Put it front and center. Make it easy. And a great example of this is the Expediters podcast. This is one of the best podcast landing pages I've ever seen because it treats podcast episodes as blog posts. I I do this on my own site and I see a tremendous return as far as Evergreen listens to content that is more more than a year old, a lot of these episodes. And so the Expediters podcast, they're they're doing the same strategy. And I'd be willing to bet that they're seeing a lot of success with that as well. And they put the content right in front of your face. They they make it... they. If you're proud of your content, you should be putting in front of your customer's face as much as possible. And the Expediters podcast does a great job of that. And then you can also use that podcast landing page to link to other relevant articles within your site. Anybody who knows SEO and knows a good website viewing experience also includes linking to other relevant parts of your website through an article or a podcast article that is getting a good amount of listens. So say you have you know five episodes that are performing really, really well, add them to your website add those show notes to your website. Make it dumb easy for anybody who's coming to your to your company website in order to check that out and to see the media that you are creating. Because even if they're not ready to convert right that second and submit an RFQ right on your website, they're more willing to follow your social media accounts and your podcast if you put it in front of their face and make it easy for them to find it. Now, we mentioned last week on how your website can really help in lessening the amount of phone calls that your team receives. And that is sort of the goal, I think, with any website. No matter if you're a carrier or a 3PL freight tag, put all the information that users are seeking Put it on your website. Don't gatekeep it. Don't require you know someone to to fill out a you know book a meeting in order to get more in into I guess the nitty gritty of what the services and the solutions that you provide. You want to make sure that you're putting that information front and center in order to reduce those phone calls. Because guess what? If you reduce phone calls to your team, especially if they're unnecessary phone calls, then you give them more time to do the things that have a greater impact on your bottom line. So this next example that I want to show is Burst Logistics. Burst Logistics has an enormous page of downloadable resources. But what I particularly like the most is that they have sales kits, brochures that they already have, you know, created and designed, which 
predominantly a lot of, of companies out here have that access to that information and they already have created that information. So what you want to do is you want to make sure that you have that content in a downloadable PDF that people can just download right off the website. It's not just for users, it's for your sales team too. Say they have a conference coming up, they're going to it the next day. Do you as the marketer want to really step back and be able to, to jump in and design a new presentation every single time? No. Design one and done, upload it to the website, and then you're giving not only your customers that resource, but you're giving it as a sales resource as well, especially if you have locations all over. So few takeaway tips. Use your website to reduce those phone calls. When you are answering the questions with your content, it's better to put your face on camera. I know a lot of people are scared to do that, but put your face on camera and answer some of those questions. That will establish trust and credibility much more so than just, you know, a, I don't want to say like a talking head or like an illustrated video or or one of those kinds. Answer a simple quick 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 question, two to five minutes, and you already have your face on camera. So that develops authenticity and trust with the users who are visiting your site. And then the last tip, make your website a one-stop shop but don't expect it to be like this magical lead fairy. Just because you add an RFQ or sales brochures to your website, doesn't mean that people are automatically going to show up to your site unless you give them reason to. So that's where you're setting up your sales process on your site first. And then when you go to social media, you go to email, you go to all these other different channels, then that's where you can start to really spread the message about your brand, who you are, what you do, and all of that good information. First up, I want to talk about how the carriers are approaching digital media strategy. And so with this study, what I looked at is I took that FreightWave's top 500 carrier list. I took the top 12, I will say the top 12, because the first two, one and two, they are UPS and FedEx. That's not necessarily the right market that I, when I want to do this study of what tools that, you know, real, I don't say real trucking companies, but you know what I mean when I say the actual semi-truck companies, first mile and middle mile, how are they approaching digital media strategy? So I took those first 12, in reality, it's the first 10 of the actual trucking companies, excluding FedEx and UPS. Then of that 500 list, I took the bottom 10. So these companies are still, even though they're in the bottom part of the 500, they're still massively huge companies that are ranking on these different lists. So how are they approaching it? What are those nuances? What are those differences? And, and, and how they're approaching their digital strategies? Because 90% of the US carriers in this country have seven trucks or less. So what can these small business owners that are wearing a ton of hats, what can they learn? And what can we learn? What strategies are they using? at the top companies that are using that the little guys can take advantage of. So uh, some fun stats and key takeaways that I wanted to jump into is that the first one that I noticed is that make the website a central place for employees, customers, and prospects. Nine companies out of these 20 had custom-built websites. 10 of them used WordPress and one of them used Webflow. So a lot of the, the top 10 of what I was referring to with the top 10 carriers in the US, not UPS, not FedEx, remember that. So nine of them had a custom-built solution. One of them was using WordPress. The rest of those websites, all of them were all using WordPress with the exception of one, which is using a company called Webflow. Um, so you might hear a lot of advertisements, a lot, of, especially on podcasts and YouTube about using Squarespace or Wix. 
I don't think that's the best strategy for a lot of folks in the freight industry because it's difficult to grow and scale and integrate different technologies into those platforms than it is for WordPress. WordPress is the most cost-effective solution. It is the most affordable solution and it allows you to grow as your company grows. You can build on that platform for as long as you want. It's somewhat independent depending on the integrations that you have into your website. And so you can have this ability to scale as your company scales. So this is the big reason why a lot of these companies are the majority of the web is powered by WordPress. So that was one big takeaway. Another thing that was really sort of common, especially among the top 10, is that these companies had a separate website just for driver recruiting. Now, some of that driver recruiting was done, uh, they have other positions available. So mechanical positions, um, you know, staffing positions, things like that. So they had a separate complete website just for recruiting drivers. And that was one big thing that stood out to me. But one company that was on this list that didn't have a separate website, because this that can kind of be hit or miss. If you have a separate website for just your drivers, then you, you really have to be honed in on the strategy of what you're going after when you have the big corporate website, but then you want to send traffic away to specific recruiting efforts. So there's essentially two different markets that these, these top companies are going after with their website branding. So the overwhelming majority of them had separate websites at the top 10. The bottom 10 of this list that I'm talking about, they, 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 all of their uh, content was all built into one website. So they had one home for all their drivers and customers and employees to come and see. One really great example was Werner. So we have a, an image of their website. I thought they had a really great website design, by the way. Very simplistic to the point. Um, their navigation was really crisp and clear. You have a, a, a clear goal when you arrive on their website of what they want the user to do, which is their quote unquote ROI. So they had a clear goal of this. Another great designed website because Werner is technically in the bottom 10 of the top 500. They're a huge company, great company. Um, but then another sort of great company, big company is Landstar. And Landstar had a beautiful site design too. And when I say that custom photography goes a long way when it comes to helping your website stand out, this is exactly what I mean. It's a bright photo of one of the Landstar trucks. It is It catches the eye. And then there is one CTA button that your eye is drawn to. And it says, why Landstar? star. And so I thought that that was another really just sort of a highlight of a beautiful design of what can take place and how you can highlight your company. Because the primary goal of any website, I was told this years ago, the primary goal of any company website is to reduce the amount of phone calls that are sent to your accounting team and sent to your brokerage team. If you can answer some of these questions, if you can document some of these processes and add them to your website, you're reducing the amount of phone calls that your staff gets because then your staff has more time to work on things that are more revenue producing. So another really great example of reducing the phone calls, the unnecessary phone calls that you're getting to your company. This is a great example from Ross Express. It's not the most modern looking website, but it gets the job done because all of these documents, you know, a, a bill of lading, credit application, certificate of insurance, all of your carrier paperwork, um, holiday schedule, you know, uh, permits, operating authority, all of those documents that your brokerage team or your account, the accounting team constantly needs. And a lot of that paperwork is missing. They list it right on their website under a resources page. So this is the, this is a, an exhibit A of how you can use your company or use your company website as a resource in order to help other people 
get their job done because they don't have to answer the phone call to send over, you know, a, a credit application for a new customer. They can focus on the customer instead and just send over that information that they know they're going to need that and they know accounting is going to bug them for. So put this information right on your website. You don't have to make it public. You can make it a private link that just your, your staff keeps on, keeps bookmarked on their desktop. And then they can use that to send it out as they get new customers, as they get new carrier relationships, all that good stuff. So making a, a section of your website completely devoted to just the paperwork portion of things can help really hone down or really tone down a lot of those unnecessary phone calls that your staff may be receiving. Another goal of a website is to entice users to submit a quote. Now, I'm kind of... I'm not the biggest fan of having folks submit a quote on a website because I just don't think that shippers are actively out here looking for people to... or looking for companies in order to submit a quote on. You have carriers and you have 3PLs beating down the doors trying to get shippers or trying to haul the freight of these shippers. So they're not actively going to go out. At least not all of them are going to actively go out and request a quote on your website. But if they do, they're more likely to do it if you are niche-based. And AFC Transport does this the best because they're showcasing the specific industries that they cover. If you're looking at the screen right now, you can see that they have six really nice-looking pictures. One of them says steel, one of construction, one manufacturing, one heavy machinery. You get the gist of it. So they have those six boxes where they showcase what they're specialty is, what their niche is. If I'm a shipper and I see that, I'm much more likely to submit a quote to this company because I know that they are experienced in hauling the freight that I need hauled. So that is another really great example. I would also add that for SEO benefits and for additional benefits, I would actually create a page for each one of those images. And I would have the user go directly to that page because then that that way from a I don't want to say from a tracking standpoint, but from an analytics standpoint is probably, I guess, the more PC way of saying it. From an analytics standpoint, then you can also see that path that the, the visitor is taking and what pages are interesting them the most. You can also put another quote form on that page, maybe a steel page, maybe a construction page, and you can list the nuances of the things that that potential shipper might be worried about or might not know about when they're getting their, when they're doing the bid process or when they're trying to get folks to bid on their freight. And so that's another little note that I thought that AC, AFC Transport did a really good job at. If you're going to put the request for quote on your website, make sure that it's enticing for the users because it's not going to be a slam dunk for a lot of these shippers to just magically arrive on your website and magically submit a quote. That's not what websites are for. They're meant to close the deal. Your brand awareness, your marketing, your social media strategy, is, which we'll get to in just a second, that's the part where you want to create that brand awareness that makes people aware of your company and then you send them to your website. And that visitor path, that visitor journey is hopefully as simplified and as niche as possible. Another point I wanted to make was the use of job boards. Overwhelmingly, all of the websites that I, I looked at, they all had their own job board, which was a searchable sort of blog post listing of available jobs. And then they had a link for that user, for that potential prospect in order to apply to become a driver. This can be used for employees. It can be used for other prospects of who you're trying to recruit. But mainly because this is carrier list, most of these job boards were recruiting drivers. Now, one thing I did want to note is that the overwhelming majority of these companies that had a job board, they were sending their traffic to a third party. And what happens when you send that traffic to a third party is that 
with increasing privacy concerns, you're going to have a much more difficult time of advertising and recruiting in the future using Facebook, using social media ads, Instagram, um, all of these different advertising platforms if you don't have access to your own first-party data. That's why it's so important that even if you use third-party tools for your applications or you you have a third-party relationship with like a 10 Street, for example, if you're sending your application there, it makes the application process easier for the driver, but you're also losing that first-party data to begin with, because a lot of times these applications are very long. And so things happen when folks are filling them out. And I know that a lot of these applications make it super easy to just sort of autofill a lot of this information, but a lot of it is still a very manual process. People get distracted, people go and do other things. And so what you have as a situation is that you have all of these visitors coming to your site and then they leave and they give their personal information to a third party and they're not giving it to you first. So if I were you, I will go in, I'm actually going to go in deeper on a future topic on the show of how we can approach this in an affordable way. But what you want to do is you want to set up maybe a mini application, a mini form on your website. So then that way the, the real application won't appear until they filled out just that little bit of information. That little bit of information will help you tenfold in the years to come as these greater privacy regulations are being brought down because the the, the hammer is already kind of dropped on a lot of privacy regulations, but it's going to drop even more, especially over the next couple of years. Google is building for it. Apple is building for it. It's a really big part of their marketing campaign. So if you're not collecting first-party data on your website, you need to start coming up with a plan to do so immediately. Another takeaway that I wanted to mention is to update your social media icons on your website. I was on Freewaves Now yesterday and I said the top 12 carriers in the US did not have a TikTok account. And the reason I said this is because they didn't have it listed on their website. But I did manual searches just to sort of Google fact check myself. So I did manual checks for the majority of or all of the list of the 20 different companies that I profiled and that I did research on, the overwhelming majority of them did not have a TikTok account and none of them had it listed on their website that they did have a TikTok account. Only three, three of these companies in, the, in 20 carriers in the US where drivers are the most active, which is on TikTok, they don't have a TikTok presence at whatsoever. And they don't have, if they do have a presence on there, they don't have the icon, just a simple icon and a link to your TikTok account right on your website. I, that's a little mind numbing, um, but shout out to JB Hunt, Night Transport and AFC Transport for having a TikTok account. It's going to prove super valuable in order to recruit drivers in really right now and in the very near future. It's the top social media app um, for quite some time now. And it's going to become increasingly important if you're, you're going to be making content on any social media platform. And speaking of social... I also want to make the note of have fun with your content because a lot of the, the social media that I see, not necessarily re referring to this list, but a lot of the social media that I see is kind of boring and just, especially the blogs and it's just really geared towards more like an SEO audience. The companies that have fun with their social media, let, let's throw up the, the night transportation um, graphic up on the screen because they have a lot of fun with their content. One of the, the promos that they have going out is, uh, you know, uh, who is it Tiger King, the Netflix documentary that went wild during COVID. They have a tire King that is on their account and they're making parody content around it. They're, they're talking about uh, road safety and road checks and, you know, tips for getting a CDL and all that good stuff. Night Transportation is doing a fabulous job at their TikTok strategy. So that's a really good example of just having fun with your content. And so as I kind of wrap up this discussion, I'm sure a lot of you are like, well, how can I actually use this information? I'm a one-person team. I'm wearing a ton of hats. 
how can I use this info? And a few takeaway tips that I, that I want to share with you before we get into our interview with Gabe. And the first one is make sure you have a website with a clear path to conversion. Linking to your driver or employee app is fine, but storing that data yourself is better. That, that is light years better. If it's a simple Google form right on your website or um, another third-party form, Gravity Forms, Ninja Forms, there are lots of different tools out there that connect directly into WordPress. You can control that first-party data. If the person, uh, uh, I guess, qualifies under those initial qualifying factors, such as have you had a, you know, a federal offense in the last you know, 12 months, a question like that, if they pass those checks, then you can send them the real driver application because then that helps your recruiting department, that helps your AR, or not AR, but your HR department. And it just helps streamline a lot of, of the data collection. So you're not only collecting the data, but also making it actionable where it's it's drivers that you actually, or employees too, that you actually want to work for your company. So make sure you have that clear path to conversion right on your website. Also, using your website to reduce phone calls and answer as many questions as you can. You don't have to start huge with this. You can start small. You can start off with a few different pieces of paperwork that you know a lot of folks may request from you. A carrier packet is a great example of this. Um, but start small and make sure that you can build on it as you go. And talked earlier, WordPress is a great solution in order to do that at a cost-effective rate. Um, but keeping your website as a central place of communication for employees, for prospects, for, for drivers, um, customer notification, anything like that, any kind of prospecting or current employees, use your website as that central source. And then you can use social media in order to build that brand awareness so that when folks know about your company, they come to your website and there's a clear path for them to become a customer, um, to submit a quote, book a demo, all that good stuff. And then as I round out these last, this last tip is for a lot of one-person marketing teams, skip the blog, go straight to social media. You're going to waste a lot of time on trying to wait for organic SEO to work. And it might not work for your brand. It might not work because you didn't format the article correctly. Uh, you didn't answer the right amount of questions. It wasn't 3,000 words long. So my advice to the overwhelming majority of one-person marketers is to skip the blog and go right to social media. If you can build awareness for what your company is doing, what you specialize in, the problems that you're solving, you can build that awareness on social media. And then they come to your website and they convert when they are ready to buy. So skip the blog, focus on social media, and focus on conversions on your website, and you will see a much higher return for the time that you have available. Because like I said, 90% of the carriers in this country have seven trucks or less. You're wearing a ton of hats. You don't have the luxury of a huge marketing department. There are four basic principles that I believe after 15 years of, of making content online that I think that you should be following because you're learning from my mistakes. And, and one of those, those first mistakes is thinking that I have to be everywhere and I have to do all of the things. I, I remember when, you know, sort of social media first started up, there were websites that you could go to and you would enter in your Username. So at the time, I, I had a company username that I wanted to make sure that I got secured on different social media platforms. So I would go to this website, I would put in my username, my desired username, and then it would list out 
dozens and dozens and dozens of social media accounts that I needed to claim my business name on it. Because at the time, I didn't know what was going to be the next you know, Instagram or the next Twitter. I just wanted to make sure that I secured my username on those platforms. And what that resulted in is just being frankly overwhelmed by having to be everywhere and be all the things to all the people. So four things that you need in order to simplify your marketing. And that is... We're going to start out with a number four. And that's a four-page website. A lot of companies, if you don't even have a website and you're thinking about getting one, all you need is four pages. You need a homepage, you need a services or a product page, you need an about us, and you need to contact us. A lot of companies will think that they need 10 to 15 different pages on their site or sometimes even more. And while you can grow into that eventually, you really need to hone in on those four pages first in order to make everything else work. Because those four pages are going to be the most visited pages likely on your entire website. The About Us page, from all of the data that I have on my clients and my sites, the the About Us page is the second uh, visited page on all of the websites. Usually they arrive through a blog post or visitors will arrive through a blog post or they'll just Google the company name and then they'll arrive on the homepage. And the next page that they visit after that is the About Us page. So as long as you're focusing on making sure that those four pages are a home run, then you don't necessarily have to worry about building the biggest and best and most perfect website right out of the gates. Focus on those four pages first. Make sure that the the information is geared towards your target audience. And then that way you can expand on it in the future if you need to. Because 9 times out of 10, a lot of 3PLs and a lot of carriers, they really only need these uh, a website in order to solidify that they are a trustworthy long-term business in order to partner with. So it's almost a verification process for any drivers or for... Uh, any companies that are looking to do business with you, if they Google your name and you don't have a company website, what are the chances that you think that they're going to take you seriously as a business partner, as somebody that they want to do business with? It's very, very low. So focusing on your four-page website, that's number one. Number two is also sort of in a similar vein, but there's a Google My Business profile. And Google My Business is a location-based for your location-based, almost like a digital real estate listing. So when your company is Googled on the left-hand side of the page, what you will see is a bunch of different you know results coming from Google and trying to match what they think you want to click on. On the right-hand side of the page though, if you have your Google My Business page claimed, then you will have premium real estate on those search result pages. You can link to your website from those pages. You can publish photos to that particular you know, sort of real estate. And that folks, you also can collect re, uh, reviews right there on your Google My Business page. It's a short uh, authorization process where you have your address and you claim it from Google. They send you a postcard to make sure that you actually are at the residence that you claim you're at. Um, if you are you know, a, a freight broker and you maybe you work from home or you don't want to give out your home address, you can still claim that listing and then just not just have your your address public for the world to see. But a lot of companies in this space, they do want their address to be seen. And so um, you have the ability to list all of your different contact information. And then they also have an, uh, a newer tool. We have it listed in the show notes. Um, but it's a call tracking feature where you can list your phone number to your Google My Business page. And that way, if somebody is looking for your account, 
or looking for your business, then they have the ability to either go right directly to your website or they can click to call you. And there's call tracking available that's for that. So as soon as you claim your page, then you get all of these different call report analytics that are sent to you on, you know, say a monthly frequency. And you can see directly how many people called that phone number if it was answered right away. Um, and so then you can kind of try to optimize that journey for folks who are calling for that particular number? Are they a customer looking to do business with you? You definitely want to make sure that that, that transition is, is smooth for that type of visitor. And then if it's a driver trying to figure out where the hell you're located, that's another instance where you, know, you want to make sure that that, that transition from uh, you know, them searching for you and finding the information that they need is right there at their fingertips. So claim your Google My Business page. It's free and it's one of the better you know, sort of digital real estate investments that you can make. That is free. So the next one is we've talked about the website, we've talked about the Google My Business or the Google My uh yeah, Google My Business profile claimed. And then the next one is have a podcast interview with your customer every week. Even if you don't publish this, it's still a great way to gather insight of the verbiage that the customer uses, not you and your colleagues because you're in the trenches of your business. You know what verbiage means. You know what the different acronyms mean. Your customers probably don't know. So when it comes to your email marketing and your social media and your website copy and all of these different things, having that verbiage on your site and in your marketing materials based on what the customer uses is going to attract other customers. That's one of the bigger mistakes that I see for a lot of companies is not interviewing your customers. So that is another one that I, I would highly, highly suggest like I said, it's just an interview. You can record these conversations very easily via Zoom. Hopefully get the permission of the person in advance in order to record the conversation. Then you can release it as content for your own company. But if not, you can always keep it private and just use some of that different verbiage in your messaging. It's such a home run. It is such a just a hidden gem um, that not a lot of industries, period, are doing this, but the best companies that talk to their customers on a regular basis and then implement that same type of verbiage are are winning, you know, and you will be beating out ninety nine percent of your of your competition just simply by talking to your customers. Such a novel thing, I know. And then the last one, very important, two social media channels max. You want to make sure that you are not spread too thin. That you don't have a profile claimed on all of these different social media platforms. That way you can focus on the nuances of that platform and the language that is spoken on that platform. The way that somebody tweets is not the same way that they publish to LinkedIn. I can tell you that firsthand and personal experience. Each platform has their own nuances that you want to make sure you can really focus in and hone in on because... And if you're... If you're spread too thin, it's going to be challenging in order to, to get that kind of insight that only comes from using the platform on a daily or just a regular basis. So two social media platforms, max. Once you go through all of the strategy, because for a lot of people who are out there creating content, largely you are creating blog style content for your SEO strategy. So you have to do keyword research, competition analysis. You have to see what's working well and what isn't working well. And then you have to create that content of your own. Now, if you do go through all of this successful you know, analysis and finding those keywords that make sense for your company, the reality is, is that it's going to take several months for that content to rank if it ever ranks, 
And then if you write, say, I would say about 20 articles or maybe even 40 articles using different SEO phrases, the reality is, is that only a handful of those are actually going to hit. Meaning the overwhelming majority of your traffic that's coming to your website, it's going to increase, but it's only going to be from a few different articles if you create a lot of different articles. And so what happens is that when that traffic comes to your site, for the most part, it's low intent traffic. They're, they're coming there, they're looking, those readers are coming to your site, they're looking for information. So there's only informational intent behind what they're coming to your site for. They come to your site and the overwhelming majority of them will leave. They will never come back. They will never subscribe. They will never ask for a quote. It's the smallest of smallest fraction amount of people that will actually do this or, or go through the conversion process of stumbling on your blog or stumbling on your website and then actually making that conversion. So we, we even covered in last week's show about the logistics marketing advisor study that was just released. And part of that big study was that now how shippers, they pulled 100 shippers and only 10% of those shippers are using internet search engines in order to find a carrier or a broker or a 3PL in order to use their services for their shipping needs. That is down 5% from two years ago. And so when you think about the fact that the majority of these people are low intent, they come to your site, they're probably not going to be doing much on your site. They're going to read the information, then they're going to leave. You couple it with this study that's shown to drop down to 10% from five from 15% just a couple of years ago. And then you also couple that in with the dramatic rise in search engine use on TikTok, on Instagram, especially among younger demographics. The strategy of I'm going to create solely for Google is, is a flawed strategy, in my opinion. And I know a lot of content marketers out there are really hyper-focused on organic SEO content. But what you're going to... A lot of times, this content has already been created. So what do you do? Or you already have plans to make this content. So what do you do in order to sort of, I guess, salvage the work that you've already done and already created in order to maybe turn it into something positive? So here are my suggestions for what is eventually going to happen if it hasn't happened to your company already when it comes to organic SEO. Here are a few suggestions in order to turn that traffic into a secondary conversion. And what I mean by that is on your blog template itself, where you're writing the article. The text goes in a certain block, a certain block of information. Below that article, you should be having different CTAs, call to actions. So you could ask the user to sign up for an email subscribe. You could ask the user to follow you on social media. That's what I mean by those secondary conversions. Ideally, you want everybody to come to your site and book a meeting, request a quote, book a demo. You want those high intent actions, those high intent conversions to happen on your site. But most likely with that traffic that's coming to your site, they're low intent. They're just looking for information. So you salvage that by adding these different components into your blog post template. Because if you add it into the blog post template itself, no matter if the article is old, if the article is you know upcoming, then you're still going to have those same call to actions at the end of the post. In order, if you don't have an email newsletter, obviously you can't ask people to subscribe to your email. Uh, if you have social media, that's probably the, the best place to send that traffic. 
Another idea is to take other relevant content that you've already made on your site or have intentions to make and feature that at the end of the article. If you put yourself in the mind of the user that's coming to the site, what is the next thing that they need to know about that they need to learn after they read that article that you are creating? So think about what that relevant next article should be. Maybe it's two or three different articles. Maybe you can package those together into an email series and ask a user to sign up for those so that way they get them emailed to them, you know, periodically over the course of three or four days. Still, that user is looking for information. They're not ready to become a a qualified sales lead. It's a qualified marketing lead, depending on what your metrics are, but it's not a lead that sales would want to pick up the phone and call. Now, with rela- related to what you should do at the end of the blog post and those next ex- ne- those next step actions that people should take, you should also think about the fact that majority of people, when they come to a site and it's a really long blog, they're probably not going to make it to the end. They're probably going to read a few different bullet points. You know, make they're going to scan the content, which is why headings are so important, why bullet points are so important, making your content scannable. But they're likely not going to make it to the end of the article. So what we've done on several of our sites is that we take a CTA. A call to action. And we take a book, a demo, or um, sign up for our email newsletter, and we put it periodically throughout the blog post. Now, we program this from a development standpoint. Uh, We insert these different call to action buttons dynamically, but you can manually enter them in as well. You know, make it uh, a bold link, make it a highlighted link and put it center it, make it a little bit different looking than the rest of the text that's on the page to sort of make it pop, make it stand out. So you could do that manually or you could do it dynamically in order to update all of those past blog posts as well. So those are a few different ideas. The next step you want to do with all of your future content is to make sure that you're focusing on those high intent, long tail keywords. So a perfect example of this is you have a situation where freight brokers, that's the the phrase that you want to really rank for. Or maybe it's a, a another phrase that you really want to rank for, like... Um, freight broker jobs. Um, those That specific keyword isn't technically a long tail keyword. That is a keyword that probably has a lot of volume. Your keyword tools have showed you that this has a lot of volume. So it's natural for you to want to focus on that keyword. But remember, we've talked about this in past shows that all of those keyword tools that you have, they're going off estimates. They're not going off true data from Google because Google does not share that information with any third party. So you're kind of going off of these rough estimates that they, these search engine tools believe that has the volume for that specific key phrase. Instead, you want to focus on those high intent, long tail phrases. So instead of targeting a keyword like freight broker, you're going to target freight broker jobs Boston, um, trucking companies in Atlanta, Georgia, truck driving jobs, Atlanta, Georgia, reefer carriers, Texas. You, you, you get the point. Pumpkin carriers in Florida. Those are the types of keywords that you want to make content around because they're long tail, they're super specific, and you have a higher chance of ranking for those long tail keywords, which will eventually give you much more sort of SEO juice in order to rank for those bigger, larger keywords that are much more difficult to rank for, such as the uh, the freight broker term. So keep that in mind. 
Now, the next one is you want to make sure that your content is made for humans, not for robots. The robots are the ones that are scanning your site and making sure that the, you know your, your SEO topic is, is on topic and that it's useful to their visitors whenever they come to your site. But you want to make sure it, that content is suited for humans first, not robots. Make it the best damn article that you could read. If you are writing an article on the best, you know, not best carriers, but pumpkin carriers in Florida, you need to do that Google search yourself and see who's already ranking for that content. Then you want to read through and you want to see who they're linking to. Are there any comments? Are there any questions on that comment or on that content? Because then those are the opportunities for you to take that keyword phrase and build an article around it and make it better than the competition that is already ranking for that keyword. So keep that in mind, write for humans first and robots second, and then make it the best damn article, the best damn resource that you can think of. Make sure that it is the perfect article before you hit publish. Now, the next and the most difficult task that I would suggest to a lot of folks out here who are making content, especially organic SEO content and freight, is that you should just skip the SEO strategy altogether and go straight to social media. Uh, social media has the biggest uphill, or not the biggest uphill, but it kind of does, depending on the platform that you go to, but pick the platforms that you have the best organic reach. Instagram right now is not a platform that has great organic reach. Neither is Facebook. The best platforms, social media-wise, that have the best organic reach, meaning you don't have to pay for it, it's LinkedIn, it's YouTube, it's TikTok. Um, I would even go a little a, a little towards Twitter, but the, the shelf life of a tweet is only a couple minutes long. So it, with these other platforms like LinkedIn, the shelf life of your content could be weeks from the time that you publish it. Um, TikTok is kind of the same way. Uh, YouTube is also kind of the same way, where the longevity of your content, you create it once, and it has a, it has a way to resonate with the people that you want it to resonate with over time. It doesn't ha necessarily expire. So pick that first. Now for, I would say for LinkedIn and Twitter, it's a little bit more, I guess, challenging to know what you're going to post about. So what I would suggest to do is to go to Flexport, just made this great like 75 list of supply chain influencers to go and follow. If you're looking at the screen, it says 55, but they've since added on to it because once they published this article, they got a bunch of people that were, um, uh, I guess, aggravated that they weren't on the list. So they went and updated the list with several more people. So I would start there and I would start following all of those accounts because Flexport is listing them for a reason. So go and follow those accounts first on Twitter and LinkedIn. Get a good feel for what's working and what isn't working. And then that way that will help fine tune your inspiration for for posting content to those platforms. Now for TikTok inspiration, you can look at Rocket Shipping. We just had them on the show in the last couple of weeks. They were great. They have a great TikTok presence. Highly suggest going to give them a follow. Also Quality Carriers. There's another company on there, Ship My Carrier. Both of those they show really great behind the scenes of like a day in the life of a freight broker, the day in the life of a graphic designer, of the social media, like all of those different roles. They show a behind the scenes aspect, which I really love. And then uh, Ship Silo is another 3PL offering that is really good at TikTok. So if you want to look for good inspiration from the freight space, I would check out all of those in order to make sure that you, you kind of have a good feel of what's working and what isn't working. And then you can take all of those different nuggets of information and you can combine it all and create your own strategy that fits you and your business. So put someone in charge of posting all of that content every day. 
And then that way, it's one less thing off of your plate. And you know that you're getting the brand awareness. You know you're getting your message out there. And then when that user arrives to your website and they do convert, then you know that person is a high intent lead and not a low intent visitor. It doesn't matter if it's you know 5,000 people that are trying to come to your site if they're looking for a blog article. But what if it's 5 people that saw your TikTok or saw your LinkedIn post and they came to your site and they converted because of that? I think we care a lot about vanity metrics and we don't care enough about the right metrics. So just make sure that you're optimizing your content, whether it's SEO or whether it's social media, make sure that you are optimizing for the high intent users. And so with a lot of you know marketing campaigns within this industry, they're, they're primarily fueled by people similarly in my position. They're one-person marketing teams. They're likely either one person entrepreneur that or a small team or you know maybe it's something that happened to me first in my career when I got into the freight industry where I was you know the receptionist I was the executive assistant and then I was also tasked with all of the marketing responsibilities for the company so if any of those roles feel like you or feel like you know somebody within your organization then this is going to be a good roundup of tools to use to help streamline a lot of your different marketing processes but with that said These are just tools that I have found useful because frankly, I've spent a lot of money and a lot of time over the last 10 plus years in this space and trying to find tools that are worth their weight and worth their time and money investment because that's where a lot of challenges come into play is that we hear and we see a lot of different marketing tools that are available and they sound really good. They sound like something like magic that's really going to help you streamline your marketing only to find out you know, later on that it just was a complete waste of time and money. So knowing that it's really important before you add any kind of software or any kind of tool, especially the ones I'm about to talk about, is to map out your own processes first and then figure out where technology plays a role. Because you might not need that fancy new software that's going to cost thousands of dollars and probably likely take you, you know, a few months in order to learn how to implement it. So with all of that said, let's get into the first tool that I absolutely love that helps me as a one-person marketing team, and that is ClickUp. ClickUp is one of the most important tools that I use to run my business. It's really the single most important tool that I operate everything out of that platform. And it's essentially a project management tool where I can organize everything from ideas to multi-month projects. And you can do everything from manage contractors, you know, team members, there's file storage, there's note-taking, there's automation. Um, basically, you can have your entire team on this project and you can have different automations set up. You can ask some of the production crew from FreightWaves that have all the notifications that they get when I'm in there making a show plan or future setting up future interviews and future topics to talk about on this show. And so knowing all of that, there's a few use cases that I wanted to highlight. And that's making your ideas actionable. Like it's really difficult that as a creative person or as an entrepreneur, you know, you have a lot of ideas. How do you get the ideas out of your head and onto a system in a system that can make those ideas actionable? And that is ClickUp for me. It helps me make my ideas actionable. There are a couple other use cases. I mentioned interview coordination. I reach out to a lot of people in order to schedule guests far in advance so that we can make sure that we have proper time to do research on the topics that we're bringing them on for. 
So I typically will do these planning sessions a few weeks out from a scheduled show date. So that just, that interview coordination just helps me keep a record of people that I've reached out to, that I haven't heard from, that I have heard from. So that's a use case for it. Also content post-production and the distribution process. You know, we talk a lot on this show about how content marketing, you know, 80% of your content marketing should really be on the distribution side of things, while 20% should be on the creation side of things. Um, So content post-production, so the editing, the getting a blog post up, um, sending it out on an email newsletter, those kinds of things are all done within the ClickUp system. And then also project and business roadmap creation and and tracking. If I have an idea, I don't want to get you know, distracted and just, I've done this before where I have an idea and I go tell my development team that, Hey, let's make this idea a reality. And a few months later, you know, I'm knee deep in this project and I have no idea what the end goal was going to be. So this system helps me identify and take those ideas and just keep a place to store those ideas and not just run with it without actually vetting the idea in the first place. So ClickUp is by far my most crucial tool. I use it probably a half a dozen times every single day. So cannot recommend them enough. The next tool I want to recommend, it's kind of a gimme, but it's so crucial to every part of my business as well. And that's Google Docs. I run my show notes off of Google Docs. I probably write, uh, I don't know, anywhere from say 5,000 to 10,000 words per episode in order to make sure that I'm getting enough research in. Um, so Google Docs is a great place to collaborate. It's also a great place where I list out, you know, a lot of different B-roll um, that, you know, working with the FreightWaves team that I'm able to link to pretty easily. We're able to collaborate. We're able to add comments to different sections without it, you know, kind of overtaking the document itself. So that's another one. There are other few ways that you can use Google Docs that you might not have even thought of. Say you're not Maybe you're not a really good writer or you just prefer to speak to text and you prefer that function. Google Docs has that feature as well. So you could use their dictation feature and you could just speak into a microphone and Google Docs will spell check. They will type out everything that you say. They have, you know, some, some smarter tools that will correct, you know, the grammar and the spelling of the things that you're, you're telling the system that you want to have in the, or the text that you want on the Google Doc itself. Um, so we mentioned collaboration mode. And then also one of my favorites is making a research document that I can use on the plane and then turning it offline. So you you can make that document available offline because if you've ever tried to use, you know, the in-plane, especially on a flight, like you buy the Wi-Fi, this like go-go Wi-Fi, and it's crap. It's really like the worst thing. You might as well just like not have any internet whatsoever. And an application like Google Docs is just not going to load. It's not going to function properly. If you try to just run directly off the plane Wi-Fi, it's crap. So what instead you should do is before your flight or while you're in the airport, go to that document, turn it into offline mode, and then everything that you type into that document while you're on the plane or while you're you're doing some additional writing or you know whatever you're doing within Google Docs, at least it will save it for you and you can work off that application. And then when you land, when you get a better signal, then it will automatically save and allow that collaboration to take place. So now that's Google Docs. Next one up on the list is Active Campaign. Active Campaign is an email marketing tool that really specializes in automations. And email for me has been on the back burner for too long. I noticed over the summer when I was having my sort of like come to Jesus moment when it comes to like analyzing my business, which I do like twice a year, I have a come to Jesus moment where I look at what's working, what's not working. And my distribution for my content, I was focused 
really heavily on social media. And then I wasn't really focused on email a lot. Um, so Active Campaign has really helped me with a lot of different automation campaigns. And what I mean by automation campaigns is that when someone signs up for my email newsletter, I want them to get a notification that, hey, this new podcast has dropped or, hey, a new Cyberly episode has been dropped. And I want them to get that email notification immediately. So through my different tools that we have set up through the website that connected active campaign we're able to send those out automatically so that's what i've been prioritizing over the last couple of months is building out those different functionalities training myself up on the platform so that i can create these campaigns myself get them rolling and then also set up some additional automations where say for example you send out say i send out an, a notification hey we just dropped this new podcast episode if someone doesn't click on a link to listen to the episode, or maybe they just delete it, or maybe they just open it and never do anything, or maybe they don't ever open it at all, you can set up different automations to resend that campaign because things happen. People get busy. They're not likely to, you know, always be waiting, not, not likely at all, to be waiting, you know, with bated breath for your email to come through. And sometimes it, they people, especially if you're like me, you treat email like a to-do list. And so if you have emails within your to-do list, sometimes you just delete them. But with that setting with an active campaign, I can resend that campaign to anyone who didn't open the email who didn't click on any links, and then with hopes that you know maybe I'm catching them at a better time the next time I send it. So those are a few. There's way more automations. They also have a CRM capability, which I've transferred my entire CRM platform over to them as well. Connections with all of the different platforms that I use. It's really great. So Active Campaign, I have been loving. Now, the next one, I've mentioned this one a few times on this show periodically, and that's copy.ai. As a one-person marketing team, I cannot stress it enough how much this tool helps me. And a lot of flack can sort of be given to, you know, one of these AI writers, because that's essentially what this is. They're an AI writer. You take a few different bullet points and you input it into their system and they spit out a bunch of different other ideas that, you know, maybe you would want to use or maybe you don't want to use. If you're watching on the screen right now, you can kind of see a demo of me using this product. And what it helps me with is that maybe I have a new landing page that I'm creating for the site. I have a few bullet points that I really want to hammer home. And so I enter the few bullet points into the system and it will spit out a bunch of different text variations of that same text that I've already inputted into the system. So it's basically like another set of eyes on the content that you're already creating. And if you need even if you're not like a very skilled writer, maybe you just want to have some ideas for, you know, social media posts or an email newsletter or an email sequence that you're going to send out to prospective leads and things like that. Um, this tool can also help you with that as well. I know a lot of freight brokers out there are working as essentially, you know, one person shows and their marketing team helps them, you know, a little bit, but they're more focused on other areas and they might not necessarily have time to create an email marketing campaign, you know, for every salesperson within the organization. So if you find yourself, you know, having ideas like that, where you want to come up with your own email campaign, if you want to start posting to social media, um, if you want to do all of the things when it comes to marketing and you don't have access to other writers or other editors, copy.ai is a really low cost, affordable solution. I think it's like 400 bucks for the entire year and you can use it just over and over and over again. Highly, highly recommend um, that tool. They none of the uh, I should note that none of these tools are paying me to say this. I'm an active user of each one of these tools. So I speak from experience. Now, 
um, with copy.ai. So we talked about that one. Next up on the list is Canva. Now, Canva, you might have heard the big news with Adobe buying Figma last week, which is a big deal in the creative world. But I would argue that Canva's news last year should be even bigger because they're known as a graphic design tool. And that's where I use it for, um, I can say brand templates, I can have different logos and colors for different brands, and I can have them automatically, you know, saved and created and stored within Canva system that makes editing photos really, really simple. They also have a ton of templates that help you kind of like copy.ai, they help you give that extra, you know, sort of oomph when it comes to your creativeness. You might come to Canva with an idea and you want to see it expounded on. And so using that platform, you can really go through all of their different templates to find the different um, the styles that you like that fit within your brand. And then you can use those tools and you can save those different graphics that you're creating as a template so that you can quickly reuse in the, fir- in, in the future. They also have a really cool resizing tool. Um, that, so if you create an image that is really great for Instagram, then you can automatically resize it into Twitter or Facebook or any of these other different you know, social media sizes. There's so many, but Canva has it all stored within the platform. That is what the platform existed before the news that dropped last week. So with the news that dropped last week, Canva has now added the ability to have a website builder. So if you are interested in like a Squarespace or a Wix type you know, beginner style website, then those different those different tools should be shaking in their boots right now because Canva has just created a way for you not only to build a website on their platform quickly, but they do it in a way that you can buy the domain and you can get hosting all within the Canva platform. So if you're already creating your graphics in one area, then you can quickly add them to your site all within the same platform. So um, yes, website builder, great news. They also announced whiteboards. So you can kind of have that collaboration again, like we talked about with Google Docs. Um, speaking of docs, they have a docs functionality too to help you kind of spruce up and liven up your documents. So it's pretty clear that Canva is kind of coming for that office suite of technology solutions, but in a more creative way. You can kind of tell that, you know, with Microsoft and with Google, a lot of their different platforms are more based around just. I don't want to say like the developer model, but it really is sort of like developers created this versus Canva, where it's very clear that a designer was the one who came up with this platform first, and then has a really strong focus on overall just stuff that looks good. So that's another one. So whiteboards, docs, also print on demand. If you come up with a design that you really like, especially a lot of drivers out here, especially a lot of trucking companies, if you're making a lot of graphics you know, for Truck Driver Appreciation Week, they now have a print on demand functionality where you can come up with your designs and then you can send them off to be printed on a t-shirt, to be printed on a coffee mug, or really you know anything that's in their print-on-demand store. Um, so that was another one. And then my personal favorite is the video editor functionality, which they're going to be adding more features to this platform soon. But one of the bigger things that I think is really important is that with the video editor, you can take footage, any of your footage or footage that's already available for free to use within the platform, as long as you have a pro account, and you can remove the background from the video. And it allows you to take maybe a phrase, say you can use, you know, my face, for example. So with this particular video, 
I could cut out everything in the background and take this video of me talking and, and, you know, my face and then put it on another video background. I think it's a lot of fun. I've been playing around with that tool as well. It's really a creative suite for the modern day marketer. And so if you haven't jumped on Canva yet, go ahead, give it a shot. It's they, they have free accounts that you can go and try, but some of these tools you might have to have a pro account to use, but even a pro account is 120 bucks a year. That is a bargain when you think about about all of the additional tools that you'll have access to. If you like revenue, which I'm sure that a lot of people are listening to this listening to this episode, they like revenue, then you need to be prioritizing marketing operations. But what is marketing operations and how and and why do companies invest in it too late? So let's first just cover what marketing operations really is. And Mar- MOPS, I'm, that's the acronym that I'm going to be referring to and using during this segment is really the first hire or the first consultant that you should be making when you want to build out your marketing program and how you're going to be approaching businesses with the value add that your company provides. So MOPS at its core is helping the company scale efficiently using data, people, and processes. Now, the skills that a great marketing operations person has is kind of a jack of all trades. They can see from the eagle eye view of what makes for a successful organization from a marketing perspective that drives revenue so they can continue to communicate that value by looking at the data and the people and the processes. And being able to look at the landscape of the business and the industry itself and what's driving that revenue and how marketing plays a role in that entire environment. And the reason that this is so important is because in the freight broker and carrier world, I'm on Reddit every single day, multiple times per day. I'm on different message boards and I follow all of these different groups. And the number one complaint that I have seen in recent weeks is that everything is slowing down. Loads are slowing down. It's getting increasingly difficult to get tough to cover loads covered. And it's a challenge for these brokers who are out here. You're trying to make the cold calls. You're trying to do the cold emails. You're trying to do all of the right things. And you're hitting up your you're hitting up against a brick wall. So things are slowing down when typically things are pretty, you know, they're going pretty hot right about now. And so with all of these things slowing down, it's a great opportunity to look at the things that you're missing in your marketing and sales stack, especially when it comes to what you're offering in the digital space, social media, email, your website, all of these different functionalities and how they tie into your overall goals. And so prioritizing what is working right now and what those processes look like can really help you grow in the future. And also, I mean, if things are slowing down, this is the perfect opportunity to refine those different processes and refine those different approaches. Because over the last couple of years, you've likely, if you've been in this industry for a while, then you know that it's just been kind of crazy this entire time. This is the first time it's kind of slowing down for you, then that's a chance to take a sort of a deep breath and realize what's been working for you in the past couple of years and how you're going to retool and readjust those processes moving forward. And so I think a lot of you were probably saying like, sure, this all sounds nice, but how do I actually put this into practice? And so let's talk about it. If you're any kind of leadership or marketing role within the company, you need to go through this exercise. And the first exercise is to analyze those processes. If you can do the processes yourself first, 
What happens when a new broker is hired? How do they get their leads? Where are they going to look for those leads? How are they reaching out to them? Are they calling them? Are they emailing? Are they doing a combination of the two? What does that process look like? Do you have any sort of rigid standards that you want to follow when it comes to that? Or do you kind of just let them kind of do their own thing and prospect on their own? So analyze your processes and ideally do them yourself first. Because if you do them yourself first, then that's the opportunity opportunity for you to see what can be outsourced, what can be automated, and what technology fits into where and how it actually drives business revenue. You don't want to be the person that's out here buying the fancy new marketing software if it's not going to have an impact on the bottom line. So analyze those processes first, and then you can realize the inefficiencies within that process so that in the future, when things get busier again, because they will, this this is all ebbs and flows in this industry. And so when you get busy again, you're going to have processes that are scalable and that you can, and they're also repeatable. So keeping that in mind. Now, the next step you want to do is to figure out your most profitable types of customers, commodities, and lanes and build out your value props for them. Write them down. And then once you write them down, you're listing the type, you're listing your advantages. Um, You're going to note the technology that you use in order to solve those problems or for those value types or towards those advantages that your company provides. List the technology that you have. List the insurance that you have. That is a safety net for a lot of companies out there to know that you have the insurance to cover those different uh, situations as they will pop up because they will. And so once you map out those few things, then you can list out the specific experience that your customer or you have with that particular type of shipment. And then the next step you want to take is once you map out those you map out your processes, then you map out your value props, then the next step you want to take is to work with the marketing department or work with whoever is in charge of your marketing. Your So whoever's building email campaigns, whoever is updating the website text, think of those people next and work with them directly because then that's where you can almost treat your website as a sales brochure that your sales team can then use to go out there and sell. And when somebody reads an email and they open it and you can't tell because you know Apple has blocked the data tracking on whether that email was opened or not, then you can go in and you can make sure that that text that is in that email is also similar to the text that is on your website. Because then if they're clicking through, if they're checking out your website, they're making sure they're doing their own due diligence before they ever want to pick up the phone call or pick up a cold call or answer a cold email or schedule a meeting. They want to know that you're not going to waste their time. So having that consistent messaging throughout all of your campaigns and your outreach is really going to go a long way. Now, another important step that you want to take is you want to understand where your potential clients are coming from and how they want to be approached. And I I really like this example that I saw a few days ago from the CTO of Scentbird. Let's go ahead and put that up on the screen. I'm not going to go through all of the the bad and the ugly, but he lists the good, the bad, and the ugly. And for the good, he mentions that to have a successful connection with him, and if you are reaching out cold to him, this is what has been successful on his side of things or that he's seen from these cold approaches. And he says, start with email that explains clearly what do you offer. Then provide case studies from similar clients with clear problem definition and clear solution. Ask about my availability to have 
a demo call for 30 minutes, or even better, send a video my way. Remember, time is of the utmost importance to a lot of these people. They don't want to get on a phone call if you're just going to be wasting their time. So make sure that you can have all of these different content structures in place, whether it's on your website, whether it's in video production, any of those things that you can send out to these people proactively as you are prospecting and as you are scouting. And then finally, the last one that he admits is that, or the the last one that he suggests is do your homework and come prepared to the call knowing about my company's business. Don't waste their time. That's the biggest hint, the biggest takeaway of what you can gather from his post. And all of these things can be established. So you're, you're identifying your process you're likely doing them yourself. And then you're going through your own value props and you're making sure that that communication is consistent throughout all of your different campaigns. And then that way you're using the insight from other potential customers, other potential shippers that you might work with in the future. You're using that consistency on a regular basis in your social media, whether you're posting from the company page or your own personal page. It's consistent messaging throughout So then that way, when somebody arrives on your website or sees that cold email when it's not necessarily cold anymore, you might have been warming them up for a few months, but they see that email come through from you. It's highly personalized, specific to them. You have a link in your email signature to book a meeting with you, and it makes it much more likely that that person is going to be willing to get on a call with you in the first place. So all of these things can be established during this sort of slowdown period that you're experiencing. And that's how marketing operations ties into all of it. Because the marketing operations person or somebody who has a marketing operations mindset can really look at everything from an eagle eye view and be able to zoom in on what's really driving revenue. And so keep that in mind as you're building out your campaigns, as you're building out you know, your different messaging on maybe on email marketing platforms, your CRM, or even within your website. Make sure you have that consistent messaging. And then make sure it's actually geared towards the way that these people want to communicate with you. Because there's probably... If you put yourself in their shoes, there's probably a ton of people that are beating down their door trying to get their business. And the way that you're going to stand out is by communicating specifically to them on a consistent basis. And making sure that that consistency is throughout your entire company and also throughout your digital messaging. We're supposed to use data when we get these marketing analytics reports in order to take a nuanced approach and take that next step when it comes to our marketing and and, and how do we make those next steps. And just when I thought I had it all figured out, then comes Google Analytics with telling everyone about how you've got to get upgraded from Universal Analytics over to Google Analytics 4. So this is how I'm thinking about that process. Because firstly, the the reason that this movement is taking place, because I should give... Well, let me back up a minute because I should give a little bit of backstory. Uh, For the better part of the last 10 years, Google Analytics, probably more than 10 years, Google Analytics has been a staple when it comes to monitoring your website traffic. And Universal Analytics has been a thing for a while. This is a little snippet of code that you put on your website and it tells you you know, your bounce rate, how many people come to your site, what pages that they like the most, uh, data like that. But with growing privacy concerns and privacy regulations that have been coming into the mix, 
it's creating a situation where Google now has to scrap the entire analytics program that they've had for years in order to rebuild essentially their entire analytics software offering. Now, keep in mind, this is free. This is not like other platforms where you, you have to... They, they do have a paid version, but the free version is more than enough of, of what you need. So Google Analytics 4 is here and designed in order to help you take advantage of marketing reports, attribution, where your visitors are coming from, making intelligent data decisions. But it's here because of all of those different privacy regulations. Over in Europe, we have GDPR that's been around for quite a while, where if you're not actively monitoring how your data collection and how visitors are arriving to your site, if they're choosing to say no on the the cookie pop-up, how are you managing those users? Are you removing that data from your system? If you're not removing it from the system, then you could pay an enormous amount of fines. It's much more strict over in Europe, go figure, than it is in the US as far as data collection. But more US states are starting to take this more seriously. California has had their 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 Privacy Act integrated for a while now. Colorado and a few other states are starting to draft up their own legislation. So it's becoming increasingly challenging because the last thing you want is all of these different states having their own privacy laws. And there's no streamlined approach because for a while... If you were collecting data, if you were a U.S.-based publisher, for example, and you were collecting data and and serving up news articles for a European audience, a lot of these sites had to just completely shut down and turn off their their, their European audience because they weren't going to be able to fall within the GDPR guidelines. So now what we have is a situation where we have GDPR over in Europe, and then we also have several different states in in the U.S. that are coming up with their own privacy laws. So that's why Google said, all right, we got to get rid of our entire analytics software offering, and we got to come up with something new because the the current system is just not going to work. So Google is is making it mandatory for you to upgrade your analytics within a year. So if you start right now by adding... Google Analytics 4 to your website, then you can start the earlier, the better you can start collecting that data and start making these actionable decisions. It's very, very important. It's free. It takes probably five, 10 minutes to do. If you don't know how to do it, hire a developer in order to take care of it for you. Keep the old analytics code on your website so you can still collect that data and have a historical reference to look back to. But on the looking at the forward-thinking side of things, you really need to get Google Analytics 4 installed on your site. But now that we've sort of covered the basics of why this big change is happening and what you need to do about it, now let's take it to that next step further because... With data privacy and and with all of the different concerns that are going on in the world, it really sort of takes us to a place where we have to sort of rethink how we approach marketing in general. The last two years, buying patterns have changed and and, and how we market to folks in a, a, I guess, a quote-unquote post-COVID world has completely changed as well. So we're now that we're getting these reports, we need to take some time to actually sort of clean the slate and figure out of what steps we need to take after we start getting these new insights in this new report. So if you're still using old analytics, if you're still using universal analytics, which I I imagine the overwhelming majority of you are, this is that next step of what you want to take and what you want to prioritize as far as data collection in order to make it 
actionable. First of all, you want to make sure that if you have any kind of goals or events installed or, in, or created on your universal analytics, you want to make sure that you move those over as conversion analytics in G4. I'm just going to refer to it as G4 because if I say analytics one more time, I feel like my brain is just going to explode. But and events and goals in Google Analytics G4 is are things that you're monitoring, such as key page visits, um, uh, podcast downloads, video plays. You can attach a little bit of code around these events on your website in order to track how users are ultimately arriving and ultimately engaging with the website itself. So if you have any of those key features on your website, you can put that little snippet of code around there and track how many people are playing this video that's you know on, on the, the homepage of our website? Are people playing it all the way through to completion? Are they pausing it halfway through? Same thing with the podcast. Same thing with other key landing pages on your site. So those are all different you know events and goals. And if you don't know much about events and goals, I highly suggest that, that you look into them because it's probably the most uh, clear sense of data that you can have on what the action, the ideal action you want a user to take whenever they arrive on your website. And so make sure that you have that installed. Make sure you're collecting that data. And then also, you're going to have to go through the steps of reconnecting Google Search Console. I believe that Google Search Console gives me way better insights. If you're looking at the screen right now, you kind of see some of the, the content marketing insights that, that, that Google Search Console will give you. And if you connect Search Console, which is completely separate, you have to verify your domain with Search Console. You have to then reconnect it to your Google Analytics account. So make sure that you're reconnecting those. Now is a good time. If you don't have any of this set up to go ahead and get that set up. So then that way you can start fresh in this, you know, sort of, I guess, uh, current privacy world that we live in. I don't want to call it post-privacy because we really don't have any of that right now. Um, but you can at least be prepared for all of these different changes that are taking place. I, you know, a Apple iPhones, for example, uh, late last year, whenever they launched the, they, they closed down access to third-party data. And now you get that pop-up whenever you download a new app that says, are you comfortable with this app tracking you You know, across other apps? And nine times out of 10, you're hitting, no, I don't want you to track me across multiple different apps and multiple different devices. So this is, where, this is why all of these things are taking place is because of all of these, the death of the third-party cookie and how you have to prioritize collecting first-party data, which means the people that are coming to your site and you're collecting that sort of insight. So Google Search Console, G4. So you want to make sure you have both of those integrated. And then once you have both of those integrated and you have those set up, then the next step you want to take is simplifying the data that you're actually going to be looking at. So the way that I think about this is that I have a spreadsheet that I use and I measure it by quarter. So Q1, Q2, Q3, Q4. And with Google Analytics in particular, I will take the key pages. So your homepage, um, your, it could be your book a demo page. It could be a book a meeting page. It could be an application page. All of these different pages. Th this is what you want to track. You want to track how many people are coming to the page or is it trending up or is it trending down? You also want to place an event or goal around the scroll depth. So the scroll depth, meaning 
at least 50%. So if folks are arriving on the page and then they're scrolling at least 50% all the way through, either all the way through or at least 50%, because then that can give you some insight into how your copy is on that page itself. Is it clear? Is it, is it beneficial to the user? All of these questions you can be, you can be answering if you start collecting this data from this lens. So scroll depth of at least 50% on a key landing page. Are your landing page visits, are they trending up or down on those key pages. I also really like Microsoft's Clarity tool. It's another one of those. If you're in the the business of upgrading your analytics and verifying your domain in Google Search Console, you might as well add Microsoft's Clarity tool as well. And one of the really cool things about Microsoft Clarity is that they have a product similar to the product called Hotjar. Hotjar is one of those heat mapping tools that you can see how visitors are scrolling on your site where certain parts of your website uh, are, are more red than other parts of the site. So that's why they call it sort of like a heat map. So you can see when users arrive to your site, what kind of behaviors are they taking? And so you can see the heat map, which is similar to Hotjar, but it's free with Microsoft Clarity. So um, I would highly, highly recommend that part of it. But then there's also one extra part of Microsoft Clarity that I haven't seen really with any other analytics program, but it's called Rage Clicks. And you can monitor how people are arriving to your site. And then the areas of the site or on the landing page of where they're clicking that they think that the visitor thinks should be a link to another page. So this can kind of give you insight into, you know, if somebody is repeatedly clicking on a, a graphic or an element that you have on your site, then it could be a good situation for you to look at those rage clicks that are taking place. And if they're taking place in a significant way compared to, you know, other areas of that page, then that's a good indicator of where you need to add a link to more information. Either if you have that information already on your website or if it's one of those things where you got to create that information and then add that link to that particular part of the page. Uh, for example, I, I have a section on my website where I have three little boxes that are sort of explainers. And by using the Microsoft Clarity tool, I was able to see that people were clicking on those little boxes thinking that it was a link to another page. And that was the signal to me that I need to make content around those three little boxes. So the interested folks who want to read more that they're clicking on it and it's taking them to a new page instead of a rage click where they're just clicking a hundred times. And you know that you, you probably all have done it before, but how you're going to, to be creating content around those rage clicks. So that's another one. And then website forms, you want to also monitor so this is, this is how I think about it. So your demo and your meeting forms that are on your website, if you don't have them, you need to add them as soon as possible. Make it easy for folks who are coming to your brand and coming to your website in order to book a meeting if they're interested. And so it's a, it's a no-brainer to me. These are probably one of the top tier pages that are on your site. It needs to be separate from a contact us because a contact us page is just a general inquiry reach out. Targeted landing pages, that are built around the demo or are built around talking to somebody in sales, that is a huge plus and a huge missed opportunity that I see taking place on a lot of different freight websites. So having that book a meeting capability right on your website. And then you want to compare the amount of people that have submitted requests in order to book a demo or a meeting. And then what's that number compared to the goal that you're setting? And then how does that goal relate to, or, or how does it compare to previous months? Is it 
trending up? Is it trending down? If it's trending down, there's probably some changes that you need to be making on those landing pages in order to tweak them a little bit because that's what kind of insight that you need to be looking at. The actions that people are taking, not only when they get to your site, but then once they actually fill out a form or if they don't fill out a form or if they don't follow you on social media, all of these different things that you can be optimizing the visitor journey for because you're doing, you're likely doing all of this hard work by talking to different customers, talking to prospects, you know, sharing awareness on social media about your brand. And when they arrive to your site, you want to make sure that that pathway to conversion is as simple as possible. You're not, you know, having a lot of incidents where there's rage clicks. And then you're also making sure that that, that pathway is very, very smooth for that potential prospect to become a potential customer. Also, I've preached about this plenty of times before on previous shows, but adding all of your forms on your site, adding a required field, uh, a free text field that says, how did you hear about us? You don't want to drop down because you don't want to suggest different topics um, or, or different traffic sources such as LinkedIn or TikTok or, or Instagram or any of these other platforms, maybe a referral. You don't want to hint towards it. You want it to be a free text required field because that's where you get the really crispy stuff, the really juicy insights of how your marketing is really working. Attribution reports and attribution software, analytics software will tell you one thing, but the visitors that come to your site will give you much more, you know, sort of targeted information. You know, I, you know, XYZ told me at, you know, this truck stop that, that you were a good company to work for, or, you know, I had, you know, successful relationship with this person and they referred me to your, your brokerage. It's all of these different things that you're getting those kind of insights from the form. So add, how did you hear about us? It's simple, it's free, and it's one of the best things that you can do to add, you know, greater insight to your marketing mix because knowing all of those things, knowing how your homepage and your key pages are trending up or trending down, how those resulting in forms being filled out, and then the ultimate result of how did you hear about us? All of those different decision-making points can really help you as far as where you're going to spend your time and your budget and your energy when it comes to the rest of your marketing. Uh, I cannot recommend those three different things enough and making sure that you have the analytics set up properly so that you're collecting that data and then honing in on what data is the most important that you could actually take action from. And it's those things. So then separately from this, what I also wanted to mention is if you're already creating content online, I've mentioned Google Console or Google Search Console already. It is hands down one of the best ways to find out you know, who is seeing your website on search, if they're clicking through or if they're not. There are certain phrases, certain pages on your site that could be getting thousands and thousands of impressions, but they have a low click-through rate. That is 100% an easy win, low-hanging fruit in order to take advantage of that different insight. And then also, lastly, I do want to mention that um, as far as like social media analytics, because that deserves just a, a show in and of itself. But one tool that I did want to mention that has kind of changed my life when it comes to LinkedIn is Shield Analytics. Shield Analytics gives you personal account uh, insight into what's performing well and what isn't performing well. If you're looking at a, a screenshot that's on the screen right now, there's a list of... I've already signed up for Shield Analytics. They're not paying me to say this. I actually pay them for this software. But it lets me know all of the different posts that are the most impactful on my personal 
LinkedIn. It makes a huge difference because the majority of analytics tools that are out here, they only monitor the business page from LinkedIn. They don't monitor the personal page. And the personal page is where you often have the most bang for your buck. You have the the greatest organic reach when it comes to your personal accounts and your personal LinkedIn page, not so much with your business page. So a lot of those analytics tools will tell you about your business page, but Shield Analytics will tell you about your personal page. That's the only thing that they do is your personal page uh, LinkedIn. It's very affordable. I think it's like 200 bucks for the entire year. So if that can help you make more you know, educated decisions on what kind of content is working well on your personal LinkedIn, then that's going to just continue driving home that ship of creating greater brand awareness, having those visitors arrive to your site, collecting that insight, uh, that first party data on how they're interacting with your brand, and then ultimately, hopefully filling out a form and telling you exactly how they heard about you, whether it was podcast, maybe you as an interview on Freight Waves, or maybe it was a variety of different things. But that those are the pathways to make analytics actionable. Think of this as almost kind of a scouting report that would be created at maybe the college or the pro level, especially in sports. But think of this as a scouting report in order to get the lay of the land and the tools and uh, methodology behind what a lot of companies present day are either using or not using, and then how you can use some of those same things in your own scouting report as you're kind of trying to get the lay of the land. And the reason I bring this up is because over the last month or so, we've really been diving deep into freight tech, 3PLs and carriers and looking at the technology stack that they are working with. So what CMS are they using? What techno- What marketing and sales technology are they using? Are they using HubSpot? Are they using uh, Salesforce? Are they using Marketo? Are they using Sixth Sense? Are they using nothing at all? Do they have a website? Do they have social media presence? So all of that information was super insightful to me to sort of get you know a lay of the technology land and the marketing land. But I'm going to review some of the tools that I use during that process because a lot of these tools are the same thing that I use in my own sort of scouting report process whenever a new client or a prospect will come to me and want me to give an estimate on what it, how much it would be and what kind of workload it would look like to, for, them, for us to work together. And these are the tools that I use in that research phase in order to find out if it's going to be a good fit or not. And so let's bring up the first tool that I use to sort of spy on my competition. But in this case, this is really just spying on what the industry trends are and what industry leaders are doing amongst you know the some of the top lists in the entire country. So top carrier list, top 3PL list, um, top freight tech, all of those good things. So the first tool is called Built With. And Built With will give you a breakdown of the technology profile of any website that you enter into the search bar. It's completely free. Now you can... There's of course like paid plans where you can get a little bit more updated information. You can also get information that is uh, you know a little bit more detailed than what the free plans will give you. But the free plan gives you a ton of insight. And from their website on how they get their info is Built With says, we index the internet in the same way that Google does to power their search engine. We don't get data from any third parties, which is great because with this tool, you can tell someone's uh, CMS, you can tell someone's CRM. Are they using HubSpot? Are they using Salesforce? Are they using Zoom Info? Um, You can also tell about... 
pretty much gauge the advertising platforms that that business is either using based off of the pixels that they have installed into their site. So if they're doing any kind of Facebook advertising or you know anything on display ads such as Google, they're going to have those pixels added to their website because that is a way to track conversion. And so whenever you are tracking those conversions, those pixel codes are installed into your website and the publicly available information and using that site built with will tell you which companies are using that kind of... Uh, or they either have the pixels installed on their site and that means they're actively running ads or they have the pixels installed on their site and they're just collecting that data for future advertising purposes. So built with is a good solution for that. Now the next one I want to bring up is a website grader by HubSpot. Now this is one of the more brilliant ways I think that HubSpot has, you know, really I really kind of got the dominance card when it comes to um, their their marketing presence and selling their marketing software. And so with the, the website grader tool, is completely free to use. You enter in your email address and it gives you a, a grade essentially on how your website is performing. If you're looking at the screen right now, you see that my own website, Digital Dispatch, has a score of about 85. And so it tells you under four different measurement methods that you performance, SEO, mobile, and security... And so you're judged out of those few categories. But if you're looking at the screen, uh, performance is good. SEO is pretty decent, 25 out of 30. Um, security is 10 out of 10. But then on the mobile version of the site, which I'm fully aware needs some work, and we're actually working on that this week as we speak, hope to have you know that those improvements done you know as soon as possible. Of course, that that's what you know famous last words for any sort of website development project because a website is never truly done. So from that lens, I need to do a little bit of work, but I could take that same tool and I could look up somebody else's website. You could take a competitor's website and put that into that tool and see where their weaknesses are, but also use it for your own website in order to find out where your weaknesses are because that's ultimately that's more important. If you don't want to be chasing what other companies are doing all the time, you really want to set the lead and you want to set the tone for how your website is performing because ultimately that's the last sort of bastion in the, the sales process that you can really control. And so making sure that your website experience is up to par. But 85 is a B. I'll still take it. I was a B student in school. So I will take that in the, the website realm as well, even though it's not perfect. But I will still use that as a basis to improve. Now, there's another tool called SimilarWeb that that will work in a lot of the same ways. It will combine a lot of the insight from HubSpot and also from Built With. And you can get a more deeper dive into, say, the keyword analysis and the keyword rank or the keyword ranking um, from organic and paid. You can get that kind of insight too from a similar web that is a paid solution. So if you have a little bit of a budget, then I would go with that one because the reports are a lot prettier than what you know Built With will, will send out to you. Built With is kind of um, a developer-friendly program, I would say. That's, and anytime you kind of joke around you know, development and design, development is always going to be a little rough around the edges when it comes to the display of information. While the design team, that's the ones that are responsible for making everything look good and also function as well. So there are a few other ones because this conversation really sort of uh, inspired me because it was from an investor in SaaSbet, Joe Spicer. He tweeted out all of the tools that he uses to spy on his competition. And so a few of them that I haven't really... I've somewhat tried in the past, but I just I haven't tried them recently. And so it was a good sort of you know memory refresher. And the first one he mentions is the Facebook ad library. Now for somebody who is 
actively out on the internet and actively recruiting people to, you know, maybe uh, apply to become a worker, become a driver. Um, a lot of these different, uh, that's really what, you know, Facebook and Instagram excel at is with those social media focused ads. But what you can do is you can go to Facebook and you can look up any company's past ads or current ads, and you can see how they're framing those different uh, conversion points. So if you're looking at the screen right now, you're kind of looking at a sample of that ad library. And it, again, this is free information. It's public information. If you're advertising on Facebook, then your your ads are going to... Your ads can be viewed by anyone using this ad library. You know, you have to know the company name in order to do that search. But it is a little bit... I think it's you can it can be used as inspiration on what's working, what you think is working, and how you can sort of cherry pick the best ad campaigns and what you like about the, all of those other campaigns. Because it doesn't have to be companies and freight. This can be any company that you admire, and maybe in the B two B space, or maybe in the B two in, in direct to consumer. You can model all of those different ad model, or you can look at all of those different ad models, and then you can pick and choose which one makes most sense for you and your brand. Now, the last one that I want. To mention, or that this uh, that Joe Spicer actually mentioned was Hotjar, and he mentioned it on the list. But I'm going to do him one better because Microsoft Clarity is has a lot of the same features as Hotjar, and it's free, and it's essentially a heat mapping tool for your website. So a heat mapping tool on your website is essentially a snapshot of your website. And then you can see the mouse patterns of when somebody comes to your site and where they scroll. And people typically, they will scroll left to right, down or at the top to bottom. And so that's how they read. It's almost like an F format, like the letter F, they read from top to bottom or left to right and then top to bottom. And so thinking of it from that lens, where are you putting your most important information? And you probably want to be putting your most important information where those little red circles are on that heat map of where that most important information should be going. Because somebody, several people are looking at your site in that way and they want to know what further information or what more information that they could dive into, if that makes sense. And so there, there's another aspect to this report as well that I think is really fascinating. It's called Rage Clicks. It's probably one of my favorite analytic, uh, I guess, deep dives is to find out, to go into Microsoft Clarity and to look through and find out where people are clicking on your website and thinking that it should take them to a new page with more information. But a lot of times those Rage Clicks are happening because users are clicking on something that they think leads to something else and it does. And so that is a great solution, especially for a lot of website users out there or maybe marketing departments. And you're kind of wondering where you're missing the gaps on the information that you're displaying. Well, Microsoft Clarity will give you all of that information for free as long as you install their Pixel, Pixel on your website. So as I reiterated, or as I stated earlier, I'm going to reiterate again, I spy, not steal, and maybe think about it as a scouting report. hope you enjoyed that episode of Everything is Logistics, a podcast by Digital Dispatch, where we help your company build a better website. And speaking of my company, I founded it back in 2018, but we recently streamlined our website services plans. So if you want to check out how we can help you and your marketing team build a better website and connect those ROI goals, then go visit digitaldispatch.io. 
You can also check out past episodes of this show and every show by hitting up the resources page on digitaldispatch.io or on everythingislogistics.com. I do some freelance content projects for select clients. And if you liked this show, then you might like some of the other content projects that I've worked on like Cyberly, Maritime Means and more. But until next time, I'm Blake Brumleave and I will see you real soon. Go Jags.